Welcome back, baseball fans, to episode 24 of the Banished to the Pen podcast, the audio component of the website Banished to the Pen, a group baseball blog produced by fans of the Effectively Wild podcast. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the Baron of All Baseball Podcasts. I am very excited to be joined this week by two returning members of the Banished to the Pen crew, Julian Asseline and Seth Rubin. Guys, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Thanks for having us. And, and Julian, I'm going to apologize first and foremost in advance for the mispronunciation of your name. I am apologetic. So, But uh, guys, I'm really excited to have you guys back on. A very important and uh, busy time in the baseball season, so I'm glad to have you guys back to talk some baseball. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks for having me back. Awesome. First place I want to start is uh, where we start every week. I want to have you guys just kind of reintroduce yourselves to the audience if uh, you know those who are listening today missed you guys the first times around. So uh, let's start in alphabetical order. We'll go with Julian. So please, uh, you know, Twitter handle, day job, whatever you want to share. Okay, yeah. So uh, I'm at Julian Asulin on on uh, Twitter, and I still contribute at Banish to the Pen and at the Fangraphs community blog. Um, what's new with me, I guess, is I uh, I used to be a Concordia University student, and next semester I'm actually going to be moving to Toronto to uh, attend Ryerson University for journalism. Congratulations! So, uh, congratulations! Thank you. <laughs> I'm assuming that's a good thing, so congratulations. Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. Oh, good. Well, good for you. That's great. Uh, Seth, kind of the same thing. Yeah, so my name is Seth Rubin. I live in uh, New York City. I work for a financial institution doing statistical analysis for them. And my Twitter handle is at Seth Rubin. So, and yeah, I work. I currently haven't been writing that much, but I will be can be found at Banish the Pen also. Very, very good. You guys both do excellent work, and uh, I'm very excited to have you guys back on the show, as I said. So uh, first place I want to start this week, uh, I try to keep my Nats fandom down as much as I can on this podcast, but this week with Seth being a Mets fan, uh, I- I'm going to crowbar the fandom in a little bit. So I, I want to start, Seth, a little bit with you. Uh, obviously, Julian, uh, I want to hear your thoughts too, obviously. But Seth, first place I want to start is with the Mets. And kind of similarly the Nats, but I want to talk about just the NL East and um, how, I don't know, poor the division is to a certain degree. I think we all thought that the Nationals would have a big lead this year. I think we thought that the Mets would kind of be playing about like they are, but just I want to give the floor to you first and foremost, just the Mets. Yeah, so the Mets have been, I guess, up, up, well, right now they're, at like a 530 winning percentage, which isn't great. But they started off terrific. Like, no one expected them to get off to that great of a start. They were the best team in baseball. But then, since then, it's been kind of sour. But that's basic. I think I would just attribute that to the injuries and the lack of offense recently. So, because at the beginning of the year, they were all hitting. But then, after eight games, Wright was gone. Um, I think, I forget which game it was. I was at a Harvey day. And that's when we lost Darno, who just came back for, I think he was out for like six weeks. And then we also lost Blevins, uh, the relief pitcher, who started off really well for us. And we lost him. So just kind of been difficult. But now they finally got Darno back. We've got Dilson Herrera, our young um, second baseman back. 
and Bobby Parnell came back from Tommy John surgery. And I think even and the pitching's been great, and the young guys are coming up. So I think they've been kind of surprising, but at the same time, I think they're just good. But for a team in first place, they're not great for where they are right now. Yeah, I think you made a great point kind of to start. They were the best team in baseball, I think, for the first 25 games, you know, through April, whatever you want to call it. Now it seems like they're just, and I was saying this to you off air, it, it kind of just feels like lackluster baseball they're playing. They win a little bit. They don't win. It it doesn't feel like they're real direct. They don't have a good direction right now. Yeah, they're just like treading water at the point they are. So they're not winning a lot. They're not losing a lot. They're just kind of being where they are. Uh, now if the f- they win, they win. If they lose, they lose. I don't know. Now, the first question I've got to ask is about David Wright. Is kind of what's the situation with him? Are you expecting to see him back this season? What, what David Wright, just the floor. Yeah, so it's kind of been really sad with him since he's been like the face of the franchise, one of the best hitters um, day in, day out for them. Um, he hasn't been the same, I think I mentioned on the first one, since he like got hit in the head by Kane. Um, back in 2009 that was but he's still one of their best players he was when he's when he's in the lineup he's really good but with the spinal stenosis thing which is I guess some some I guess it impacts the back in a way that makes it difficult to do uh, I guess physical activities that much but you just have to kind of rehab it and learn to deal with the pain and it's just kind of sad because he could have had this great career and he's still even not that old he still could have a great career but at this point it's just we don't know what we'll get with him anymore yeah which leads to let me ask that question to you right in reverse what are you expecting to get from Wright in 2015 and kind of what are you expecting beyond so if he comes back this year and, I, really and I noticed you use the word yeah. if yeah yeah if he comes back this year even I don't know they have it they just keep saying he's rehabbing it we don't know because this is the this injury ended Lenny Dykstra's career, who also used to play for the Mets, and then running back David Wilson, who actually played for the New York Giants, he had to quit his football career because of this. So if he can even come back, so okay, I don't the- know what they're actually be able to get from him if he comes back, and I guess the rehab works, like they say it will. But who are, I don't think anyone has a real idea of what to expect from him. Well, and then that kind of leads into my next question of they have, I think, an enviable surplus of pitching right now. I mean, you could argue they have, what, seven or eight, nine guys that are major league ready and, and can throw. What are the Mets going to do with this backlog? Yes, yeah, so I guess, let's see how many other. So it's Harvey, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Wheeler when he gets back next year, Matt, Montero, G, Neat, Olga. Yeah, and I think like we're assuming pitchers. they're not going to trade Harvey. Yeah, they're, they're not going to trade Harvey DeGrom. DeGrom or Syndergaard or even right. Wheeler, and probably not Mats either. Correct. So they have to trade. I guess they have to trade someone. But at this point, their hands being forced because no, you can't just force G or Nice to the bullpen. They've earned staying in the rotation at least somewhere. But at the same time, I don't think there's much of a trade market for them because if teams know they have a surplus, you're not going to offer them that much to get these guys. And I don't. I know Nice has not been pitching particularly well. I don't know about G. Yeah. So with Nice, I'm not sure if it's actually his fault though, because every he is currently has like the most errors behind him in the league, or second most, and therefore that keeps translating. Once that error occurs, the other like the other night, 
there was an error behind him. Next batter, two-run home run. So I wish I could attribute it all to him, but it's also the defense. So he just had he's just had some really bad luck this year, I think. Uh, so Julian, I want to tag in. Do you have any questions for Seth here about the Mets? Yeah, uh, I guess. What do you make of Matt Harvey's struggles? I mean, he's well. I guess the la- he started off really great, and then the last like four or five games, I think I saw it a tweet where like he had like an eight ERA or something like that. So, well, what's your take on it? Yeah, so he's. I guess the thing is coming back from Tommy John surgery, he's been able to find the velocity. But he just keeps throwing fastballs. And so, like, I was looking the other night versus the Giants. Out of all of his fastballs, most of them, actually, besides, most of them were either completely outside the plate, um, to the upper left-hand side of the plate, or right down the middle. So if you either, if you can't hit the corners, and you, so you either, com- he completely missed the zone or threw it right down the middle. So I think he just needs to work on his control, really. Because if he's throwing 98 miles per hour, then... I kind of just wanted him the other night to throw like an off-speed pitch if he could, because just watching these hitters, all the players on the Giants knew what was coming. He was just going to throw like a fastball. So, Panic was ready. Uh, Maxwell was ready. They're all just waiting for it to come. So, all he could throw is fastballs, and if you know that's coming, then you'll just wait and hit it. And can I prod you a little more? Do you think he's just not feeling comfortable throwing the off-speed stuff for the torque on the arm, or what do you think it is? Yeah, I think he's just so comfortable with his fastball, knowing that he has the velocity back, that that's what he's comfortable with. Yeah, I think maybe not throwing any off-speed stuff, maybe he's less comfortable with that. But I think it's also just he needs to work on his control because, as I said, like it's either down the middle or completely missing the zone. I, out of all of his pitches the other night, like none of his fastballs were on the corners. I think it's just I think he just needs some practice a little, just work on hitting the spots. Well, and command control are the last things to come back after Tommy John, typically. So, yeah. So I think that's just where he needs to go right now. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, go go ahead. Okay, yeah. Uh, Also, like I know Jeff Zimmerman did a study on it, and uh, like the first year coming back from Tommy John surgery, apparently, is like by far the worst out of like like he looked at like I think the second and third year coming back from Tommy John surgery, and like the first year back is always like by far the worst year, and then like. I guess the results tend to stabilize more. Yes, yeah, so I don't think any... So he hasn't been great recently, but I think if you, if we knew going into Tommy John surgery that this is the Matt Harvey we'd have back, then for at least the first year, I don't think we'd be too upset with this. He's giving up... I think the home run ball is the problem, and everyone knows that, but I think most people wouldn't argue with what we have back right now if he can just get better. If... He's not, yeah, like you just said, he'll get better over time. I think he'll get better as he gets more starts, he comes back from the surgery, so. Well, now, Seth, I would love to ask you to put on your GM hat if you can, and we're about a month away from the trade deadline, maybe six weeks now. What do you think the Mets are going to do? Obviously, we mentioned they have a pitching surplus. They could have a hole at third base with Wright being hurt. What do you see them doing? Yeah, so I guess the latest rumor was Ramos Ramirez. I don't really want him. Um, there's always the Troy Tulowitzki rumors with him being, um, I guess, the best available shortstop. But the Mets don't need him because he's playing worse than Wilmer Flores right now. Flores has been actually pretty good. His defense, not so much. It seems like he makes errors at all the wrong times. But offensively, he has, I think, he has tied for like the team lead in home runs. 
He's been outstanding so far. I think he's hitting cleanup today, actually. So if they could just keep getting that production from him, and so maybe try to get another infielder, because Eric Campbell is not a major league infielder, which is sad to say, but he's not. The other day, they almost had to go with Anthony Wrecker at third base. And as much as we enjoy um, from the Effectively Wild podcast, watching uh, catchers play third base, um, I would not like to see that happen again. I think we just need some infield depth. Okay, maybe a Zobris type? Yeah. Yeah, just, I guess, any kind of third base. Uh, Although we do have Murphy, and if Murphy can play third base, but he's injured right now also. (laughs) Um, Ruben Tejada's been playing well. But we also do have Dilson Herrera, who just came back from injury. He's like 21 years old, uh, second baseman. So he's been, he's our young prospect at second base. So, and he's going to take over next year at second base for Murphy. So I think, I think they're actually, I think if we can get a decent third baseman, then we should do it. But if not, just get everyone back from injuries, just be able to find them positions. And then I think we're good. Uh, Julian, do you have any other questions? Cause I have just one more before uh, kind of moving off the mats. Uh, no, I guess I was wondering, uh, you said that uh, they shouldn't trade Steven Matz, and I think, there have there been rumors, like, I, I know the the Brewers have called for, uh, have called the, the Mets app- apparently, but I'm not sure, really sure what's going on there. Yes, yeah, so, the other, uh, the last I was hearing was, I guess people are going to ask for him, because they know he's ready, and they don't have a spot for him. So, and I guess if people know that there's no spot for him and he's a young, one of their top prospects, who's even supposed to be better than Syndergaard, then people will want him and keep asking for him. So I think the Mets would rather keep around though and trade one of the aging pitchers, but you can't get a lot for Nice or G. They're not really, they're back of the end rotation pitchers, which every team could use because as the Dodgers have shown, you can never have enough pitching, but I think I'd rather keep Mets and just go with that rotation for the future. Having a rotation next year of Harvey, I guess Wheeler when he gets back to Grom, Syndergaard, and Mats, I think I'd be quite happy with. Yeah, I'm not sure you want to affect that. So uh, my final question to you is, and this goes back to kind of the NL East, is where do you expect the Mets to end up this season? Are are you expecting them to – how many games do you think they're going to win? Um, Where do you think they finish in the division? Do you think the Nationals get hot and run away with it? Do you think that – this is going to be a repeat of 2013 when the Nationals kind of play sluggishly all the year. Just kind of, what do you think on the NL East? Yeah, so right now the Mets, I guess, are four games over 500, which isn't great. Uh, so I think my original four projection was 84 and 78, I believe, at the beginning of the year. So I think I'll stick with that and stick with a second place finish for the Mets. I think the Nationals, yeah, the Nationals will get their players back. They'll come back from injury. Um, Harper. Maybe eventually we'll slow down. He's been fantastic, but I think the Nationals will rebound. The Braves aren't good. The Marlins have been awful so far. They're a joke. The, actually, the Phillies are even more of a joke than that. So second place seems like where they'll finish because being worse than the Braves or Marlins or Phillies would just be atrocious. Yeah, I think uh, I, I might even go a little higher than than eighty four wins. I just I think the division aside from the Nationals is so bad, and it's only going to get worse if you see some fire sales with Philly and and perhaps with Atlanta as well. It could get real ugly in the division around August. Yeah, just where how the Mets have been playing, and for them to still be in first place in a division, 
is quite is really sad. Well, from a Nats fan's perspective, we've been playing just terrible baseball too. So it, we feel lucky that we're we can still see you guys to a certain degree after the hot start. So yeah, and I think the Nationals. It's only a matter of time before they just take over, overtake first place. Although then the Mets, once the Nationals take over first place, I think Mets fans will be on Twitter calling for Terry Collins to be fired. Probably. Because... Yeah, sure. It's his fault, of course, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, always the manager's fault or the GM's fault. Because so. everyone expected David Wright to go down with spinal stenosis. That's just like an obvious thing that we all saw coming. Well, and speaking of the GM and the manager uh, being fired, uh, this might be a perfect segue to tag in Julian and start talking about his uh, Boston Red Sox. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, sorry I for think... that slight cheap shot there, but uh, in some seriousness, uh, what's going on with your Red Sox? Uh, well, we <laughs> suck. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's hard to explain. I like. I think everything's just gone wrong. Um, like we were supposed to have this amazing offense, and it's not. Uh, David Ortiz is. I think it were it, I think it's the end. Um he can't hit lefties anymore and he's starting to get benched against lefties. Um Hanley Ramirez is hitting pretty well, but he can't play left field. He's terrible. He's a DH at this point. I mean uh and Sandoval's not playing well defensively and he's signed to like a five year contract now, so that's not gonna look good in the near future probably and the rotation is worse than what we thought like going into the season i thought they were gonna at least be able to be serviceable but it's a disaster like justin masterson was so bad they had to send him down to Pawtucket, and he sucks in Pawtucket, which is the triple a team and then wade miley hasn't been very good and rick parcello hasn't been very good the only bright spot has been Eduardo Rodriguez, who's been amazing, but every time he's pitched, it seems like we haven't scored runs for him. So, and yet, last game, I don't know, last game kind of felt like the entire season. Uh, like, we were up 8-1 to one against the Blue Jays, and then they came back 1-13-10, so. So is this team fundamentally flawed, or is this a team that's just woefully underachieving? I think both. Uh, we thought there was going to be too many outfielders and we acquired Alejandro de Aza from the Orioles. Uh, so the outfield doesn't look like a strength anymore. Um, <laughs> I guess the... like I don't know what they're doing with Ruzni Castillo too. It's really weird. Um, they'll start him for two games. He'll get a couple of hits, start to get going, and then let's bench him, which is really weird. Like You should just keep giving him at-bats, playing him like every day in right field. And I don't know why he's batting ninth. I mean, behind Blake Swihart, who that's an unfortunate situation at catcher where both of our starting catchers, well, both of our starting, Christian Vasquez has Tommy John, and then Hanra, uh, Harrigan, Hannigan, Hannigan breaks his hand, and so we're forced to call up Swihart, who's not ready for the majors, it looks like. And then, yeah, I, coming back to your question, sorry, I'm rambling, but I guess, yeah, we're, we are flawed in that the starting rotation isn't very good. At this point, I think Joe Kelly is probably a bullpen arm. I am done watching him start at this <laughs> point. Uh, I'd be perfectly happy calling up 
uh, one of our pitching prospects, like uh, Johnson. Maybe not Owens because Owens is he's walking a little bit too many guys, but Johnson looks pretty good right now at AAA. Um, I wanted to go back to one thing you said about Hanley is where does he end up? Maybe it's not this season. Maybe this year is a lost cause. But is he a first baseman in 2016? Uh, where is he? Does he try third base and they move Sandoval? I mean, what what do they do with him? I have no. I don't think I wouldn't play him at third base because when uh, when the Marlins tried Hanley at third base right after shortstop, he was terrible. That's so true. That's a good think... point. That's a great point. Yes. So I think at this point, um, you might as well just. I don't know. Um, if if David Ortiz, this might sound weird, but if David Ortiz retires, which at the end of this year, which maybe he should at this point, like it looks like he's really going on the down end of his career. And so, yeah, if David Ortiz retires, you put him at DH. And if David Ortiz doesn't retire, then I'm not really sure what you do. You might keep him in left field or since Napoli's contract is over you might move him to first base so I I really don't know (laughs) that's your answer wow Uh, Seth do you have anything yeah so I guess I was just wondering how the competition like versus the because the Yankees have been playing really well so far better than expected so do you think that has anything to do with the Red Sox um, lackluster season so far also the Blue Jays haven't been bad either so it's maybe been great it's the... the last two weeks, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah um, I don't think it's been because of those teams. Um, I think, like, it's very weird. Basically, if it's, it's a weird sensation because if the if we're playing, if one of our pitchers is pitching really well, then it's like, oh, we're not going to score any runs. Or if we score a lot of runs, then it's like, oh, our pitchers are going to give up 10 runs. And that's kind of been the season so far. And now we have the worst run differential in the American League, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know. I don't think, like, for example, the Yankees playing really well or the Blue Jays playing well has really impeded the Red Sox. I think it's mostly the Red Sox just suck right now. And they're just really not a very good team. They're very flawed. And they're just, at this point, they just don't seem really good at, like, one aspect. The starting rotation is a disaster. And the bullpen's okay. I mean, Kuji Urahara has been... He's been pretty good. Matt Barnes has been okay. He's been a little bit of a letdown, though, lately. He has been kind of struggling. Um, Stephen Ray, if you could probably start him over Joe Kelly at this point. I don't know why they... Because he's got, like, maybe a 350 ERA. I'd have to check again. But um, you could probably just put him, if you're not uh, ready to uh, promote Brian Johnson, you can just put him uh, as the fourth or fifth starter and put Joe Kelly in the bullpen. And maybe that'll fix a couple of things. But I don't know. Overall, it's just really not looking good. And Mookie Benz has kind of underachieved. Like, he hasn't, he hasn't hit really well, even though he's starting to hit a little bit better. The only real bright spot has been Eduardo Rodriguez and, like, Sander Bogarts, whose defense is really good right now. Like, it's much better than what than last year it's he's made some really nice plays on defense and i guess dustin pedroia has been pretty good too well that leads me to my my next question sorry seth if i jumped over you um you know as a nats fan just to kind of not trying to make a parallel but 
I feel like the team's not playing well, but I see reason for optimism that they're going to start playing better and, and you know get on a roll. Do you have that same feeling as a Red Sox fan, or are you looking at this team like, okay, this is going to be our third last place finish, I guess, in the last four years? So I think a week ago I would have said I'm still optimistic and I think we're going to turn this thing around. And after maybe I'm just pessimistic after last night's game, which when you're up like eight to one and then a team comes back and wins thirteen to ten, it's kind of heartbreaking. Uh, but uh, so trying to be a little bit objective, but it's hard right now to see how they're going to turn this thing around. The run differential is minus fifty. I think. I think. Uh, yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it is. But. Um, so it's really hard to see how they're going to turn this thing around. I mean, there's only so many moves that you can do. Uh, I mean, David Ortiz isn't batting against lefties anymore, which, okay, so now Brock Holt's playing a lot in left field, and Brock Holt's not really a good left fielder. Um, well, he he's good defensively, but he can't produce the kind of offense that you want to from a left fielder. So that doesn't look really good, and then I don't... I guess their best option now is to just call up Brian Johnson and hopefully he's going to pitch really well. And yeah, I think they're really stuck right now. They've really dug themselves into a hole. There's not a lot of moves that you can do. I mean, Rusny Castillo has a a long contract in right field and Hanley Ramirez has a long contract in left field and Pablo Sandoval has a long contract in third base and you're not going to not play Xander Bogarts and Mookie Betts because they've been some of the bright spots, I guess, so far. And Rick Bosillo and Wade Miley are in long-term contracts. And uh, Dustin Pedroia is in a long-term contract. The only move that you could make, I guess, is getting rid of Mike Napoli. But Mike Napoli's been okay. He's He hasn't been god-awful, basically. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's all I got so far. Seth, anything? Yeah, so I guess... Well, I guess going back to this past offseason where they made all these moves, do you kind of, I guess now that we know, we know what actually happened, so it's kind of easy to make the decision now, but do you wish they had taken a completely different approach towards it and just kind of gone with the fire sale approach instead of just signing and bringing in all these guys and trying to compete and win right away? Yeah, so um, I guess I have a hard time being objective about the Red Sox, but um I actually like the moves. I thought Hanley Ramirez's move to the left field was going to be... He wasn't going to be a disaster, and I thought he was going to hit really well. And that he was going to make up for maybe a, a little bit of an adjustment period in left field. And so uh, I guess he's looked a little bit better lately, but he's still not very good. Like, honestly... People have said that like Manny Ramirez has looked just has been better than was a better left fielder than Hanley Ramirez, and I think that's pretty accurate at this point. Like Manny was able to play the balls off the wall, and he had a pretty good arm. Um, and Hanley Ramirez does not play the the balls wall uh, off the wall. So, and he his arm has been somewhat lackluster and. He's just been a disaster in left fields, which has negated any sort of offensive production. And also, he steals really randomly. Like, I don't know why he steals bases, but he'll apparently sometimes, like, he just goes off on his own. Like, he's the John Farrell doesn't give him the sign to steal, and he just runs. And Hanley Ramirez should not be stealing at this point. He's not a very good base runner. 
And so it's and Pablo Sandoval's, I guess, defense has declined faster than we anticipated, um, which I guess was unexpected. And I actually thought Rick Porcello and Wade Miley were going to be pretty good. Uh, I wasn't sure what we were going to get with uh, Justin Masterson. Uh, I didn't think he was going to be this bad. I thought he was going to be able to bounce back a little bit, uh, which is like, I guess I had trust in Ben Charrington because he signed all those guys in, 2000, in the 2012, 2013 offseason, and it then turned out really well. And so I thought these were going to be really smart signings. And it really just hasn't turned out that way. Uh, uh, yeah, in some ways, they would be better off if they made none of those signings in the offseason or their extensions and were just sitting now on all these prospects. Yeah, maybe. Again, like, I. I mean, it's easy it's to say that from, you know, once again, as a, a, as a fan's perspective, but if they didn't have the Porcello and the Miley contracts on, on the books and they didn't have Pablo and Hanley, this team looks a lot more interesting with all that young talent and money. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But at the same time, we would still be last. <laughs> like, I, I don't think if we signed, didn't sign any of those players, we would probably be the worst team in, uh, in the uh, American League East. But... I, I I guess it's better to not have all those contracts and be the worst team in the American Leagues than have all those contracts and be the worst team in the American Leagues. But they might still turn this around. Like, I'm not going to rule it out. But at this point, the, it just looks really bleak. Well, and that leads into my final question that I have for you is is kind of the same question I asked uh, Seth a few minutes ago is, well, what are they going to do trade deadline? Are they going to be selling and selling hard? I mean, as you kind of alluded to, they don't have much to sell, I guess. Yeah, so uh, I don't think they're going to be sellers because unless they trade their prospects, I don't know who you're going to sell. Um, yeah, I have no idea who you would sell. Uh, maybe Mike Napoli, and that's about it. So, Or maybe Koji Urahara or some bullpen pieces. But if they're sellers, I don't yeah they're not going to be selling off one of their big pieces and i don't know if there'll be yeah we'll see i guess we'll see how this season turns out if they turn things around before the trade deadline like it's still a while away and they might still turn things around by then but yeah right now it just doesn't look good okay i lied i have one more question i'm sorry <laughs> do ben sherrington and john farrell i think it's farrell do they survive this season if it continues the way it's going um, so I don't know who to blame here. I mean, is it John Farrell's fault that like all these players are underperforming or is it Ben Charrington's fault? And usually it's probably not like just Ben Charrington's fault, but I guess he represents the whole, he, I guess, is the face of the front office of the Boston Red Sox. And I guess in their projections, they thought these players were going to be good because or else they wouldn't have signed them. And maybe there's something wrong with their projections because last season they said that uh, every player underperformed our projections except for Brock Holt. And I, this year I wouldn't be surprised if they made a similar statement. So maybe there's something wrong with, I guess, the way their projections or maybe the people that they have in the front office. But I'm not ready to say that yet because... Again, they were really good in 2013, and Ben Charrington, when I hear him speak and everything, he seems like a really smart guy, and he seems like he knows what he's doing. So I think they'll survive this, but uh, I don't... Yeah, so even if they 
if if they finish in last place, I think it's going to be they're going to really hear it, and it, I think it depends on John Harry and the ownership. But I think Ben Charrington's a smart guy, and I don't know if I think I'm not really sure to be honest. Yeah, you made an interesting point because I I heard Ben speak at Saber Seminar last summer, and his whole speech and he, and he spoke for about thirty minutes was all about you know we need to do a better job of getting our guys to play above what their projections are going to be you know above the 50 percent level and and finding guys that are going to outperform their projections and it's now three years out of four like you kind of alluded to where it sure seems like most of their guys are underachieving yeah yeah exactly so i don't really yeah (laughs) yeah yeah uh seth anything else kind of on this topic before we move on no, I kind of just wish there were more um, videos, though, of Hanley Ramirez's bad defense, though. I will say I've enjoyed <laughs> those gifts and those videos online. I've I've definitely enjoyed that. He does make a good gift. <laughs> so, uh, once again, I'm going to segue off of that. Uh, and I think we had the MLB draft earlier this week. Uh, I know I'm probably one of the harder core uh, MLB draft geeks out there. Kind of an interesting draft in a lot of ways. We saw Vanderbilt have a few guys drafted pretty highly. Dansby Swanson, obviously, at the top. We saw Houston get probably three of the top, I don't know, eight to ten prospects in this draft. Uh, Brady Aiken went middle of the first round to Cleveland, which I thought was a little intriguing. Um, Which one of you guys wants to start uh, just kind of talking about the draft? Seth, you can go. Okay, yeah, so I guess I was watching it the other night, and... It was just interesting waiting for Aiken to be picked. Who knew where he was going to be picked because they had the medical information and there was no real, I think no one really knew where he was going to go. So that was kind of a surprise. I'm glad he kind of went early, though, after what he went through last year because you never wish that kind of stuff on like a kid like that. And I like him going to Cleveland. I love that pick. I think they've done some nice jobs in the last few years developing pitchers. Uh I like to see Cleveland, a kind of a lower payroll team, taking the gamble on an Aiken, trying to get the ceiling and the talent. So, like you say, I thought that was a great pick. Yeah, so that was really good. And then Jacob Nix, the other guy from who was drafted by Houston last year, he ended up going, I think that was second or third round out of um, to San Diego. So I kind of wish he had fallen to the Mets. So <laughs> he's, I think he looks like a great prospect too. And then, but I think one of the bigger stories was just watching Daz Cameron the. Mike Cameron's son just continued to drop and fall and fall until he got to the uh, until he got to the Astros again. So glad that they picked him up. They're going to have they just have a fantastic farm system. They really um, drafted well this year, and for them to be able to pick him up so late, as long as they don't do anything like they tried to do last year with their money, then I think they'll they had an awesome draft and really do have an awesome future considering how well they're playing this year. And I think you make a great point. They they tried this strategy a couple of years ago in the Correa draft, and it looks like it's going to work out for them. I mean, McCullers has come up and pitched pretty well for them. Obviously, Correa looks like a star. And uh, Rio Ruiz, the other guy they got in that draft, uh, was kind of a key piece in them getting Gaddis. So it worked then, like we alluded to kind of last year, the Aiken debacle and everything else. It didn't work out. If they can get these guys signed, it looks like maybe they've they've kind of conquered the draft this year. Yeah, and like for example, the, the Astros had like a they had the biggest uh, what is it called bonus pool? Yeah, they had the biggest bonus pool at like seventeen million, and I think the second were the Rockies at thirteen million. Um, 
And uh, I think Das Cameron was asking, it was reported that Das Cameron was asking for like 5 million by the, uh, I think Jim Callis was the one who reported that. And it was really interesting how basically they manipulated the draft into like basically being able to take two top 10, I guess, draft prospects. And then they were able to get another one at 37 because they knew he was going to sign for 5 million. And so they, so because they have a, a bigger bonus pool than everybody else, they were able to snatch him at thirty seventh pick. Yeah, and it looks like this will be the last year they'll get. Obviously, they had the advantage of having two top five picks because of not signing Aiken last year. But it looks like you know this will be the last year they can really attack the draft that way. I mean, obviously they're in first place in the AL West now. It looks like this will be the last time they're picking at the top of the draft for a while. Yeah, and I think they were uh, the first team ever to have two picks in the top five. I'm not sure, though. Uh, I would certainly think that's probably correct. I know yeah. the Nationals had two picks in the top ten the Strasburg year, but that was that was not certainly not top five. Yeah, yeah, I think... Uh, wait, let me... Mm, I don't know. Oh, I forget where I saw that, actually. But yeah, I'm almost 100% sure that I read that somewhere. So where else, any other thoughts on the draft? Did you guys watch the draft? What did you think of the coverage? I, I, that would be another thing I'd like to talk about. Yeah, so like it was the first time that I actually watched the draft this year. And uh, uh, I watched it on MLB Network. Um, and it was, I don't know, it was okay. It was a lot of like fill-in, basically. I found uh, OJ Mayo is yeah i think that's his name he John, had jonathan mayo oj oh, jonathan mayo <laughs> oj is the jump shooter for some team oh yeah yeah okay yeah sorry he's the basketball player yeah so so jonathan mayo yeah i thought he was pretty interesting um in the draft he i guess yeah the other so harold Reynolds, i don't really know what he was doing there he's like he's i don't awful. know he's awful i'll say it he's terrible Okay, yeah, like, I don't know why they have him. They have him at, like, all these events and everything all the time, and I don't know why he doesn't really add anything. And it's like, I'd much rather listen to what Jonathan Mayo has to say than what Harold Reynolds has to say. Like, they could have had, like, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo there or other draft experts, and they did not. And I, well, I guess Jim Callis was kind of, like, in the background. He was, but it was... I wish he was at the round table and they I could have heard both of their takes on it. Seth, your take? Yeah, so I think I really just watched it just to see where Aiken was going, where Matchwell was going. And then Matchwell didn't get picked but, and then just watching Cameron fall. I think that was more of the intrigue because as a Mets fan, um, first of all they picked like well, they picked a college guy last year, but they didn't even have a first round pick. So I just waited for them to have their pick and then they picked some random player that no one like had ever even heard of from some out of the door academy which is which was a running joke on <laughs> Mets Twitter about where the in the door academy is. So I think it was just kind of fun to see where Aiken was gonna go, where all these players were gonna go once we because especially the big names since we knew they were gonna drop. So I think that was more of the intrigue of it for me. Yeah, I was disappointed in the coverage, and I've been disappointed the last few years because I do think they could do a lot better job. I think first and foremost it starts with moving the draft towards the All-Star break where you could get a lot more people there. But they need a live audience. I mean, I think that adds a lot to the NBA and the NFL drafts, being able to heckle the commissioner and 
having a little bit of instant feedback from some fan bases. I think that would be the first place. But the other thing is, is they should get a few of these Hall of Famers to announce the picks, and then you know you could maybe have them interview the young kid. Or so. I just feel like there's a lot more that they could do to the coverage to make it more intriguing than they do. Also, speeding up the picks to like three minutes rather than five, that would probably make a huge difference too. These these teams don't need five minutes between picks, so. I do feel like there are a lot of things they could do. That said, it's nice seeing the baseball draft on TV. I mean, four or five years ago, it wasn't on TV. So I, I do think there's something to be said for that. Yes, and I think the only reason that it doesn't get more coverage is just the fact that we don't know half of these, if half these guys will be successful and make it to the majors. They've been signed. So I think fans, knowing that these guys will take a while, um, don't want to take the time to just really watch it or care because by five years you don't even know where these guys will be. But but to and I think Julian made a great point. If you had you know a Jonathan Mayo or a Jim Callis, you know as soon as the pick comes up and they give you a twenty five second scouting report, you know with a little bit of video, I think that could go a long way towards introducing to these players. I mean you know I, I maybe I shouldn't speak for this because I'm not a diehard NFL fan, but. I don't think most people know the first-round picks that these guys are taking outside of the first 10 picks or so, but everybody watches the NFL draft, and they all act like they know what's going on. I I think if maybe we tried to emulate a little bit more of their coverage and what works for them, I think perhaps you could jump that bear a little bit, a little bit anyways. Yeah, and yeah. also I think – sorry. I think you made a good point, Ryan, in that like it's really – it has a weird um, – how can I say this? It's – it's not very well placed, I guess. The scheduling isn't really good because you can't have all the kids there. And it was really interesting, for example, when um, Rogers, uh, the third overall pick, he was really excited and everything. And it was really cool to see him and his family there. And while Dansby Swanson, the guy who went first overall, we weren't able to see his reaction because he was playing baseball. So it was, it'd be, I think, great if they like moved it a little bit closer to the All-Star game, like you said. I mean, I think it would be perfect if they did it the three days of the All-Star break and you'd have all the team representatives there. You could get some fans to, to you know, jam the place if you wanted and you could get more of the college players. The negative, obviously, would be that some of these players are going to lose five weeks of at-bats and five weeks of playing time if you moved it to the All-Star break. But like you guys said, it, I think there's somewhere that maybe we could work it out because it's unfortunate that, you know, the number one pick is you know, at bat when he's getting taken first overall. There's just something wrong with that. Yeah, and but, like, I don't do... So, apart from the All-Star break, because, like you said, they would lose a lot of at-bats, do you think that they could maybe put it earlier? Like, before the college playoffs started? I, I do, but then I think you start running into, you know, well, what happens the first time that Dansby Swanson, my first overall pick, tears up his knee and I'm watching him in the College World Series hurt himself, and now I'm stuck with a first-round pick that I don't want to sign. I think that that would immediately be the problem. I, mm -hmm. I think it's still a problem to a degree. I wouldn't be comfortable if you know, I was about to invest $6 million in Dansby Swanson and I'm out there watching him play in the College World Series. I wouldn't particularly care for that. Yeah, so yeah, I guess it's it's a hard situation. It's very but I difficult, I mean, and I think that's why they've never really been able to resolve it, but... I like the fact that the signing deadline is up a month earlier than it used to be because now, like I said, these guys are getting into pro ball. I mean, you're seeing guys get into the majors quicker because they're getting a year of experience this summer rather than sitting on their butt. So, 
you know, maybe they do the draft at the all-star break and then basically the signing deadline's a week later. Maybe that's the way they get around it. Go ahead. So. Yeah, so I think that would be great. But I think just trying to get them into camp, considering a short season ball starts and, and they need some players on it. So I think that's probably more of the issue. Although I think if they could just take a day off of the College World Series, just like stop it for a day, they can stop the Stanley Cup or like the NBA Finals for a day because of other events. I think they could stop the College World Series for a day. It just lets this be the focus of attention. Instead of like Thomas Specialman, I think when he was drafted, he was pitching like 100 pitches or so. So I think instead of having these players completely lose focus and just sit on the bench and be like, oh, by the way, you were distracted by this team, congrats. Like, well, just like let them enjoy the day. Well, and Seth nailed it. That is the biggest problem is, you know, these short season affiliates need players. And if all of a sudden the draft's a month later, they're not going to have players. So do you want to totally alter the way that those organizations and franchises are set up? I don't know. Like I said, it, it it's not an easy solution, which I think we're kind of kind of bantering about and finding out, unfortunately. Well, hopefully the guys sign. I'm hoping to see uh, Cameron and everybody else start to play ball, so that would be great. Okay, guys, last topic I want to cover this week uh, before we get out of here is uh, the MLB All-Star voting. Kind of the big, the, where I want to go with this is just, do you think that the setup they have now is the best setup they could have? I mean, and the reason I'm saying that, I, I think most people have heard in the media, if, if certainly that are listening to this, I think the Kansas City Royals have seven of the top vote-getters currently in the American League. I think it's basically every position player except for one. Maybe it's Trout is the only one that's leading, maybe. Uh, what do you guys think about the way the All-Star voting is set up currently? Are you guys in favor of the fans voting and having voting the starters? Do you, like I said, do you, are you guys, what do you think? I'll start with, uh, who wants to start? Uh, I guess I'll start. Um, I don't know. I, uh, it, I guess it's a hard problem because the, the All-Star game is basically for the fans and if the fans are voting for all the Kansas City team, if for all the Kansas City players, then I guess that's the way it should go. Unless you want to alternate the way the All Star game gets picked, which I guess I wouldn't be opposed to it. But if I, I don't really mind how it is, I don't really follow the All Star game that much. I don't really watch it anyway, so I don't really have that much of a vested interest. Really, what's interesting to me is the home run derby. I find that kind of exciting. But apart from that, like I don't really care to be honest. <laughs> uh, Seth. Yeah, so I think it's kind of funny actually that the that all, like all the Royals are going to make it because that's how the fans vote. It's like the day for the fans to enjoy it. Let them have it. Um, I don't think anyone's going to argue with the Royals players. People know who they are. So I think it's kind of funny. I think it'd be enjoyable to just watch the Royals take the field versus the NL All-Stars. Well, we know they end up winning. So I guess at least for like the first few innings. I think the also with that, though, they also have like the vote. You can like write someone in. I would love to see like some random player just like written in on every ballot, like Weber Albers, just like get them in. I guess we can't vote them because they're pitchers, but yeah, why have we find not... some players to write in? If everyone just writes in a player and gets some like random like utility guy off the bench that no one cares about starting in the All Star game, that would be great for me. Seth, uh, you did it. You nailed a, a great idea. We got to start a banish to the pen write-in campaign for either Ryan Webb or Matt Albers, one or the other. 
because I think it would be hysterical. Of all, oh, like, although I guess we can't put pitchers in. Darn. Oh, that would have been such a good idea. All right. Well, then we need a new. We need a player because we need to do a banish to the pen right in promotion, like vote Sanjaya a few years ago. So. Yeah, we need. We should just have like a phone or something. It Maybe would, like Ben or Sam can come up with something that we should just all vote for. And, and for it's got to be just a random great player. Somebody would just. It would be perfect. So. The other year after, I guess, back in 2007, after Andy Chavez made that catch, I was a huge Andy Chavez fan, so I wrote him in on all my ballots, <laughs> all 100, whatever ballots I put, put Andy Chavez. Uh, um, I don't think that made him anywhere close to getting in, but I tried. I love this idea. I, I'm spearheading this. I love this idea. So, But I, in general, I do like that the fans get to vote for the game. I, I think we... I don't know. I shouldn't. I don't want to go into this part of it, but obviously, I don't think the game should count for anything. I should be. I think it should be a great exhibition game and for the fans. But I, I like the fact that the fans can vote. I think it's amazing that people care. I've never filled out an all-star ballot in the last twenty years. I, I really. I tend to not even watch the game, frankly. I try to play the uh, "Hey, honey, let's get back in some good graces here for three days during the break." But that said, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. People are into it, so that's great. I just wish it was a little earlier and a little more fan-friendly to try to get the kids involved so that we can more get the next generation involved, like Manfred, you know, Commissioner Manfred just said. Yeah, and also, like, the pitchers and, like, the backups that are put in are picked by, the other, are picked by players and managers. So and half the time, those guys aren't even that good anyway because there's always snubs. So they don't do a great job of picking the All-Star team, and who cares who the fans pick? Well, and I love the fact that, you know, Puig got in a few years ago, even though he'd only played, you know, 25 games, and Harper got in that one year, you know, when he had only played for a month. Uh, it's for the fans, like we said. And if those guys are going to get TV or eyes on the TV, then great. You know, if that's what it's going to take, then that's terrific. I mean, if, if we've got to put Carlos Correa in the All-Star game this year or, you know, name uh, Chris Bryant, pardon me, great. Let's do it. It's one spot. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Whatever the fans want, and, and they think we'll get more fans there and more fans watching on TV. It'll be great for the game. And if he would be good in the home run derby, that much the better. Great. Yeah, Gallo versus Brian in the home run derby. I think everyone would love to see that again. Great idea. I'd I'd pay money to watch those too. Yeah, or Joey Gallo. <laughs> yeah, and and then get Harper in there as well. That would be fun. And Giancarlo, sure. Why not? Yeah, I wish we could get the exit uh, off the bat velocity. I bet we get that this year. I bet we do get that. We do? You think so? I bet so, we do. Yeah. I mean, I would. Ho- it's not ES- ESPN hosts that. So may- if it was MLB Network, I would say for sure. But I think that would make the- it a lot more interesting. Another thing that we should start campaigning for. That would be great. Oh, yeah, that would be really cool. I think I would. Uh, yeah, I'd be really interested in watching that. <laughs> Seeing the exit velocity and the uh, whatever you call it, the launch angle and everything else. The vector. Yeah, that would be so fun. (laughs) Uh, Well, it sounds like we're pretty much in agreement on the all-star voting. I'm Go Royals is kind of the way I'm saying it. If the Royal fans want to vote their guys in, go for it. Yeah, and more power to them. I mean, it's I guess it's good to see that the Kansas City fans have really taken up with this team. Yeah, I, I kind of appreciate that. It's not the Yankee fans that are just because of you know sheer demographics are dominating it's a passionate fan base yeah, yeah. not for an off 
side, but last year in the NHL thing, actually, one of the players voted in was from Latvia because he was like their only player from the country. So the whole country voted for him. And even though he was that good, but he still made the All-Star game. And it was just hilarious watching him playing an All-Star game because one, like a whole country was behind him. Well, I don't have a problem with that. Like I said, you know, it's a great story. It's one spot. Yeah. Who cares, you know? Yeah, exactly. Everyone enjoys it. So more for the fans, the better. So. All right, guys. Well, I think I'm going to cut off the show here uh, just for time and for everything else. But uh, real good, solid hour of baseball talk. I would love to, uh, once again, kind of the way we started will be the way we end. Uh, kind of just where they can find you guys on Twitter and uh, kind of say goodbye. So, uh, once again, we'll start alphabetical. Julian, uh, say goodbye to the audience. So, yeah, bye, audience. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Julian Asulin. And... All right, I banished to the pen and uh, the Fangraphs community blog. And yeah, that's where you can find me. Well, it was great having you back, Julian. So uh, thanks for coming. Uh, Seth? Yes, thanks for having me. It was great being on again. I'm talking some Mets and uh, All-Star voting. But you can find me on Twitter at Seth Rubin, just my name. And then writing uh, at Banish to the Pen as well. Yes, obviously, uh, check out both guys' work. Uh, obviously, very impressive what they do, and uh, I'm always a fan of uh, what they come up with on Banish to the Pen. So thanks, guys, for coming back on the podcast. I appreciate it, and uh, I hope to have you guys back on later this summer. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to it, Ryan. Yep. Sounds good. Talk to you guys soon. And that was Episode 24 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with Julian Asseline and Seth Rubin. I would like to thank them for coming on the show. I'd also like to thank everybody that contributes at Banish to the Pen, whether you're a writer, an editor, a technical member, somebody behind the scenes completely. Whatever you do, uh, thank you, because a lot of hard work goes into uh, preparing the podcast, preparing the site, all the writing, all the work every day, and we're putting out a really, really quality product. So I'm very proud of the work that we're all doing, and I just want to give a hearty thank you and pat on the back to everybody that's doing such a great job. For that, this episode is a wrap. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, at NatsGM.com on Twitter, reminding you, be nice to your fellow listeners.